Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or of course Friday evenings on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes, you're welcome to show number 926 and a bit of a deep dive on crypto uh, today actually, an amazing interview for you in around about 10 minutes time, uh, just talking about cryptocurrencies and where they are and why people have lost loads of money and why people are going to be billionaires by the end of the year, the whole thing, it's, it's, it's all a bit of a flux. But for now, uh, for a quick look at some of the news stories, I'm joined by our editor, Niall Kitson. Uh, Niall, bonjour mon ami, ça va? Tu vas bien pour toi, ta femme et ta chatte? Yeah. That's my first story, you see. I'm linking into Meta. Ah. I've come up with automatic translation of 200 languages in real time. So, well, in that case, ça va très bien. Oh, monsieur! Vous parlez français très bien! <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and there, I think, concludes their entire knowledge of French. <laughs> that's it. I, that's, I, that's everything we know. <laughs> I, can, I can order a coffee. Thank you very much. <laughs> Un café. Well done. Uh, Meta, Facebook uh, are working on this project called uh, No Language Left Behind. Uh, and this is kind of interesting, actually. It's kind of not meta, all right? Um, their goal is to translate all of the languages in the world in real time. Okay. Now, if you had told me this was a Google project. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm kind of surprised it's not a Google project. Um Anyway, Meta are the ones who are doing it. And I think Google are doing their own thing as well, because if you look at Google reviews or whatever, and you're looking for stuff on holidays, um, you know, in Germany or Italy or wherever you're going, uh, you can see the Google reviews, but there's a little translate thing underneath. You're reading it in English, but it says translated from German or, or wherever mm. it is you're going on holidays. Um, so Google do it. Uh, Meta are doing it. Uh, and this is what I think is really unusual about it. Okay. Open source. Uh, from Facebook, open yeah. source. Okay. For, okay, I think there is a vaguely political reason why this would happen. Oh, gosh. Right? Uh, of course, this is all about the metaverse. It's all about trying to get people in. It's about trying to get people involved. What better way to get somebody involved in something than to sort of throw open the gates and go, do you know what? This is come participate. Because in the metaverse, that's brilliant. That's brilliant thinking. I like that. Because when you go on to the metaverse, you could be meeting people from God knows where. You need to be able to communicate. I love it. Yeah, I, I think that's the way to do it because we're, we're used to, um, you know, Apple's wall garden approach to mm. apps uh, versus looking at Google's mm. approach to apps. And I think, you know, metaverse, uh, meta has taken a, taken a trick from, from Google and just gone, you know what? Yeah. Mm. If, if we want to get people in, if we want the support of developers, uh, we need to get people in the door because we've seen this happen with mobile operating systems in the past. We saw it with uh, Symbian, the end of Symbian. We saw it with Windows Mobile. And um, so why wouldn't meta be considered a platform like any other? So I think this is a great idea. If they want to create, you know, a, a marketplace of ideas, uh, absolutely. And just get as many people in the door as possible. And then maybe down the line, they'll get a little bit more discerning yeah. uh, as to who they let in or what sort of commercial arrangements will be will be available. 
All right. Uh, and then Apple are probably working on their own version of it, uh, which they will release as a Babelfish. <laughs> yeah. We'll like the branding. And, we'll wait and see. Uh, speaking actually of kind of the future and, and futuristic things that are 50 years old, uh, NASA in the news this week as well. You love a good space story. Ah, like, you know, kind of, it's, it's the little boy in me. But uh, they are getting going with their Artemis project, which has been on, I mean, this has been going on for donkeys, all right? But it's actually getting somewhere now. Uh, they're expecting late July, early August that they're actually going to send a spacecraft to orbit the moon. It's called Artemis 1. Uh, this is going to be a test flight um, and they want to see what the effect of the journey will be on humans. I don't know what's changed since the last time it sent humans there. Uh, but the next one uh, mission, which will be Artemis 2, is going to have humans on it, which will go around the moon. And then they are planning in the next five years, well, what is it, 2022? Now, oh, so late, late this decade, so in another five years, say, uh, they're hoping to land the first woman and the first person of colour on the moon. It will be great to be black on the moon. Uh, or any colour. Uh, I'm kind of saying, have the Chinese not landed? The Chinese haven't landed on the moon. They wanted to, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, if you I'm, want to get into all that colour thing, I forgot, I've, I've no time for it because, you know... Oh, don't worry. People, I'm, whatever. I'm only referencing Space Force. I know, the there you go. the whole season. Uh, I'm very much a Star Trekker when it comes to uh, all that kind of stuff. We are one. And finally, in one. the news this week, uh, WhatsApp. Kind of, kind of a, a, a short, short story. Again, something that, why has this taken so long? Uh, they are going to introduce the ability to hide your status. So you can go invisible like on every other messaging platform in the world. Yeah, 13 years later. <laughs> like what, 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 was, what was wrong that we didn't have this feature? Yeah, that, that's exactly what I'm thinking, you know? So it's kind of, and you know, the other thing that's missing from WhatsApp, and you will know this straight away because you're a Twitter man. Uh, an edit button? Exactly. Exactly. Get that all the time. Anyway, listen, it is the middle of the summer, so uh, there's not kind of too much happening uh, news-wise. They're, they're just a couple of stories that we are keeping ourselves up to date on. I uh, do remember, though, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. All right, let's get into our interview for this week. And it's something that we talk about a lot, now is cryptocurrencies. It is. And, and, yeah. and you're Mr. Doom and Gloom when it comes to cryptocurrencies. Well, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, you're, you're kind of waiting to, to buy in. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm probably never going to do so because there's too much volatility. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. And, and even worse, we are in the midst of what they're calling the crypto crash. Mm. Uh, or... Um, as we're going to discuss uh, uh, in a little bit, a possible crypto winter where uh, things are not going to get better in the short term. Mm. Uh, and that extends you know, pr pretty much across the board in cryptocurrencies to the point where some are failing completely. Um, and now we've got a, a, this new, well, new inverted commas thing uh, called NFTs that nobody can quite figure out what the value All is right. yet, monetarily or, or, you know, in any other sense. On the flip side of the coin, see what I did there? 
I see. Um, they are also saying that, you know, it's going to go into crypto winter and then it's going to pick up again. And then uh, a one Bitcoin will be worth 100,000 or 500,000. Some people are saying that one Bitcoin will be worth a million, whatever. Um, I tend to kind of go with that side of things. And I'll tell you why. Um, because I think digital currency that is not tied to governments is definitely going to be a thing in our future. Mm -hmm. And I think Bitcoin is the biggest player out there at the minute for that, that and uh, uh, Ethereum. Uh, So I think in the future, yeah, it's going to have huge value. But there's a lot of volatility, as you say, at the moment, because nobody knows exactly how it's going to be and da-da-da and all that kind of stuff. And that was very much uh, the same with, with Amazon when it started. You know, it was kind of, it was up and down and up and down and there were huge jumps in value and then huge crashes in value and stuff like that. Look what that became because they were looking 10 years in the future. I think if you're looking at Bitcoin, I would be thinking 10 years into the future. Uh, and then the other thing, uh, when we talk about crypto crash now, all right, um, Bitcoin has not fallen, even though it's fallen, whatever, 50, 60%, it hasn't fallen as much as Tesla has fallen. It hasn't fallen as much as Netflix has fallen. It hasn't fallen as much as Amazon had a big fall. Who else? They've all had massive falls. The entire financial system is falling and Bitcoin is going with it. That's my point. Well, that's a really interesting point because Mm -hmm. if it's not tied to government, in theory, it shouldn't be affected by the market in the same way. But what is tied to what? One of the things, there was a big financial crisis in the early 70s. Now, this is way before our time, right? But one of the things that I think was Richard Nixon was the president at the time. He disassociated the dollar from gold. Mm. Up until the yeah. early 70s, there was a direct correlation between the two. And now, so, so what is the price of the dollar based on? What is the price of the euro based on? As, you know, we've had the, 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 the crisis with coronavirus over the last two years. Governments are just going, oh, do you know what? Let's just print more money and get through this. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is it tied yeah. to? Where is the value? Like, you know, so, so yeah. there's all that kind of thing. I just think it's, it's, it's fascinating. And I'm keeping like a, a kind of a, a 10-year look ahead. So even though cryptocurrencies are going through the floor at the moment, Bitcoin's gone. It was 60 grand a coin in November. It's around 20 grand today. Uh, that's why I'm looking forward to the, today's interview. Why is this happening and where do we go next? So we have lined up Rachel Pether for you, who is a senior advisor at Skybridge Capital and is the host of Salt Talks, a series of digital interviews with the world's foremost investors, creators and thinkers. Recently, she sat down with our own creator and thinker, Niall Kitson, to explain everything about digital assets. Rachel, some people have referred to the current state of cryptocurrency as being a down round, uh, which I think is a little bit diplomatic. Other people have gone you know, to a little bit more of an alarmist extent and have called it a crypto winter. So where exactly are we in cryptocurrency and how did we get here? Well, that's a very interesting question and I appreciate your diplomacy there with calling it a down round. But I think we have obviously had a pullback recently, and there's a number of lessons that we can learn here. Uh, it wouldn't be our first crypto winter, so we've we've gone through a few periods of that already. But if you look at what, say, Bitcoin specifically has done since its peak, it's very similar to what the NASDAQ has done. So both are down about 50% from where they were about eight months ago. And a lot of this has been driven by monetary policy. We've seen interest 
an increase in interest rates and tightening from the Fed. So I think part of it has been driven by that. But we have also seen a bit of a washout from, let's just say, separating the quality assets from the non-quality assets. And if we take Terra Luna, really, I think we'll get looked on as a defining moment in crypto's evolution. And we can talk a bit more about that. But I do think that the recent crash is actually a positive for the industry because it has separated the genuine projects from the less genuine ones. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point because whenever there's a, a crisis, there's always what they call a flight to quality where people sort of ditch their riskier assets and go to things that are that are more established. Traditionally, I think gold would be the, the main sort of flight to quality. Uh, so what exactly happened in crypto? Was it a case that people looked at Terra Luna and Dogecoin uh, and went, you know, okay, time up as with these guys, let's go to Bitcoin and to a much lesser extent, let's go to Ethereum? It's an interesting point about flight to quality because certainly while the crypto market is down, you can look at the quality assets, the more established ones like Bitcoin and Ethereum as being down less. So we haven't seen as much flight out of those assets as we have from some of the other ones. I think that with Terra Luna, it's really put a spotlight on definitions. So at a very basic level, Terra Luna should never have been referred to as a stable coin. And I know there's been a bit of, you know, pushback in market sentiment saying, oh my gosh, stable coins are bad. But Terra Luna was not a stable coin. It was not, you know, backed one-to-one by the dollar. So I think we have a problem there with definitions as well. But what I think has coincided, and you know, this week we've had some great regulatory clarity come out of the US, and that's really good for everyone. And indeed, the cryptocurrency industry has been really begging for regulatory clarity for quite some time. And I think what that does give is just a more defined way forward. It does give more protection to the customer, to the consumer. And so I think that we have seen not only a flight to quality in terms of the quality cryptocurrencies, but we have seen some really good robust regulation come in, which will be good for the future as well and sort of defining, you know, defining what the cryptocurrency class looks like and also highlighting the importance of doing your own research too or outsourcing to someone that's more knowledgeable in this space. That issue of regulation, it, I suppose it's core to the development of cryptocurrencies, but it also runs in the face of what cryptocurrency was meant to be in the first place, the sort of the, the unregulated digital currency uncoupled from central banks. Uh, do you think we will see um, uh, a further splintering of the crypto scene as uh, regulation comes to the fore? Do you think there will be new cryptocurrencies that will look to embrace the sort of quote traditional values as opposed to ones that will come into alignment and be recognized uh, by governments, whether it's the US or France uh, or further afield uh, in China? So I think that regulation is great for the industry because I don't think anyone, sorry, let me perhaps clarify that a little bit further. I don't think that anyone of a legitimate nature that is in the cryptocurrency and digital asset industry wants to rip people off. You know, they are there genuinely to either 
create things to solve real world problems. And so I think with the regulation that's come out, you're also going to be seeing it in potentially other areas, like some of the real world use cases that we're seeing, like NFTs, for example. Um, and I, I think it, ha- it will be really good for the industry. I don't think it necessarily holds back the development of things like Ethereum and the underlying blockchain. I really do think that it's positive and the people in the industry that are there for the good reasons all want the regulation as well. So I think it is a really uh, great move. And it's also really good for US competitiveness as well, because the US has been one of the areas that's been lagging a bit in terms of regulation. And we've seen that you know, I'm based in the Middle East and the Middle East has a very pro-regulatory stance on crypto. And we've just seen such a inflow of really solid human capital in the region, which has been great for many industries. So I think that pro- positive, proactive regulation is, is very helpful to both the developers and also the countries in which they have the good regulation. I suppose it, it requires a, a, a- a multinational uh, approach to regulation as well, because if people are using Bitcoin in one way in the States, it makes no sense at all for people to have its uh, uses limited in in another jurisdiction as well. That's true. And that's, you know, I think one of the original pushbacks or criticism of Bitcoin was that it was used for money laundering. Obviously, that's a very simplistic pushback. In fact, we've seen that with the blockchain, because everything is public and on the ledger, that actually some of the recent uh, hacks or, you know, transfer of money on or ransom that was done on Bitcoin has actually largely been recovered because you can actually trace it down. So it will be much easier to track for the governments with this regulation in place. And with the public ledger, you can see where ownership is and where the movements have been. So I think this really does, you know, pave a good way for the industry. You mentioned NFTs as sort of an emerging asset class. Um, Where exactly do we see NFTs in that sort of Web3, in that crypto sphere at the moment? Because it would seem that cryptocurrencies are on the way down in terms of the the hype cycle, as we're seeing in in the crypto crash and the halving of, of Bitcoin's value, whereas NFTs seem to be on the way up. Is this sort of a function of, you know, novelty and speculation, or is this the arrival of of a legitimate asset class? I believe it's the arrival of a legitimate asset class. One thing about NFTs is that they solve a real-world problem of proving ownership over any asset. And I think when you have any technology that solves a real-world problem, it's always going to have a place in the world. You know, and the, the main reason, aside from the fact that they are becoming part of mainstream culture, so we soon we won't be able to ignore them anymore, is that they do solve this real-world problem. So if you look at NFTs, the crucial point is that it can only have one official owner and the information over ownership can be seen on the blockchain. And the, the decentralized nature of this means that NFTs are very hard to compromise or fake. So it, it is going to become part of mainstream culture. I think you also have a lot more companies focusing on the metaverse. So exclusive digital items really start to make 
all the more sense. I mean, we've seen such a variety of brands embrace NFTs and the metaverse from Kings of Leon, Twitter, Nike, many artists and brands are seeing the advantages as well. I mean, obviously, I'd like to caveat that all by saying that not all NFTs will be created equal in the same way that not all art, for example, is created equal. That's such an important point, because when we look at the the record NFT transactions at the moment, I think Beeple still holds the record at $69 million for a, a single NFT. Um, so I think there has been this sort of gold rush mentality that anything, any particular graphic is going to have that sort of level of interest. Uh, of course, that's that's not the case. I mean, NFTs are, are floating around at you know, a dollar and less. Um, all, all dependent on the perceived value of something. But do you think, you know, in the, in this in the way that art is sort of viewed as being more expensive, possibly through through scarcity, that we will see almost a tiered approach to NFTs, where people will have sort of an expectant value of a of, of a certain work, say in the same way that we expect the cost of a CD to be within it within a certain range, do you think we will see um, that kind of logic applied to, you know, works of art or memes or something like that, where people will expect a certain level of value uh, within a specific category? You know, you raised two really great there points, two really great points then about the perceived value and the scarcity. So I think that, you know, similar to the underlying asset class, like you mentioned, with art, there is a wide dispersion of value and it will be exactly the same in NFTs, which will relate to the scarcity as well. So you can either purchase something unique or you can purchase a limited edition. And one area, if you're looking at the perceived value, one area that I'm really excited about is the application of NFTs to gaming. Because if you add the blockchain technology and NFTs to this decentralized gaming environment, you're really shifting the control into the hands of the gamers. And anecdotally, from my friends that are gamers, the perceived value that people have about owning things in games is so huge. And I think this is an area of application that will be really interesting. I'm not a gamer myself, but I've heard that many of the Web3 games thus far have been built by blockchain companies and developers are not by gamers, so they haven't been that great to play. But what we're seeing is the gaming companies that know how to create brilliant games now work with developers for NFTs. And that to me is really exciting because then you have this whole new world of scarcity combined with games, gamers, which is one of the most passionate communities I've ever seen. And you've also got these individual content creators that can really harness the power of the community. So I think that NFTs and gaming is a really interesting space and one to watch, and it ties into the two points that you raised about value and scarcity. Yeah, I think I think the importance of community is a central point when it comes to creating things within the gaming space because gamers are very used to uh, internal economies, uh, whether it being you know additional downloaded content or paying to skip levels, as as we saw years past in Candy Crush, that there is that that willingness and that appetite to embrace digital assets uh, in a way that you know other spheres just aren't aren't ready for or haven't traditionally been. Absolutely. It's like they're just taking something 
a mentality that they've always had and applying slightly different technology to it. And the point about community is a huge one. And once you bring people into that community, you really have the network effects as well. There was actually, there's actually so many interesting projects happening in the space. There's also a group that is leasing gaming equipment inside games and incentivizing people with a crypto currency, which has had a huge impact on gamers in like emerging markets, which might not have been able to afford to pay for the, you know, the shield or the sword. Now they can essentially borrow money or, or borrow, move further up the game because they're actually great gamers, but they've never had, they've never been able to afford to purchase the sword, to purchase the shield. And now they're improving their gaming. They're actually earning revenue for gaming. I mean, it's amazing what's happening in the space. It's, it's a really exciting one to watch. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to see point, points actually winning prizes, uh, as opposed to just being simple high scores. Um, you mentioned there the impact of the metaverse and the, it, this is one of the fascinating web three projects for me because when we initially heard about the, the metaverse and it's going to be big it was a meta um product or project you know that we all expected we were going to see uh, or going to be you know rolling around facebook's proprietary virtual world this hasn't been the case at all we're looking at other companies looking to develop their own metaverses and um, how do you see this playing out as being a, a new commercial playground so the Facebook piece is interesting because Facebook technically has the greatest opportunity to do this, right? It already has, you know, it is one of the largest communities in the world. I, I don't know what the numbers are now. And I know that a lot of people that I know personally have been leaving Facebook, but I think, I don't know if it almost has the right approach or the right brand to do it. I just, I, it has the greatest opportunity, but I just don't know if they'll be able to do it, but certainly other companies that are creating metaverses. And I think it plays into questions about personal identity and data as well, and being able to create your identity within these metaverses and also then have the ability to control your own data and what you see in the metaverse. I'm not sure who's going to win this battle to create like the best universe or, you know, the most visited metaverse, but it's, it's definitely going to be quite a competitive fight. And it's a shame that Facebook maybe doesn't, I don't want to say, I just feel like <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg is, will have a hard time bringing people into this, you know, anecdotally, I've just seen quite a few people leave Facebook and it is still one of the largest platforms, but I think it might be challenging for them to shift to Meta. Yeah, I, I think they're using, I, I think they're claiming 2.6 billion users at the moment. So it it is an absolutely vast user base, but whether, you know, what percentage of that user base is actually interested in the Metaverse 
would be quite interesting to see, especially if you rack it up against uh, an upstart network like TikTok, where you would have predominantly younger people, predominantly digital natives um, that are using things much more on their terms rather than on the Facebook walled garden approach that they seem very intent on creating. Uh, I'm not sure whether Meta is actually sort of the the best company to be exploring this kind of thing through through Facebook. I, I think I think it will come down to some sort of uh, upstart or community based uh, initiative, just like blockchain has. Really, and, and it does ultimately. It is all about community, still, isn't it? It is absolutely. And I just think of my eighty five year old mother who is on Facebook or Meta. She won't have a clue what to do if it does you know, convert into a metaverse. So I think the demographic point is quite a good one. I think I don't know that many. I mean, my nieces and nephews aren't on Facebook. They're all on Snapchat or TikTok, as you say, or Instagram. So the demographic piece is is quite an important one. I think you will probably have some crypto native communities that are building out the metaverse and the ones that can win that and and build out a real loyal community are definitely going to, you know, be a great winner in this battle. So finally, uh, going back to the the issue of the crypto winter, what does the crypto investor do? Do they look to offload what they think might be a a perpetually devalued uh, commodity or should you hang on and play a long game with it? Oh, buy the dip, Niall, buy the dip. <laughs> no, I think, you know, if for me personally, if I was happy, if if I believed in Bitcoin at 60,000, there's no reason why I don't believe in it at 30,000. I do think that you should look at your portfolio and make sure that you understand what you actually own. So do you see the use case for it? Do you see the value in it. From a personal perspective, I typically only invest in coins that have more than a certain market capitalization. You know, there's about 75 coins that have a market cap of over a billion dollars. And when they reach that point, you know that they have scale. So I think that if you focus on the quality assets, if you understand what you're buying, then this is a great buying opportunity. I hasten to add, I've I've never owned any cryptocurrency that has an animal as its logo. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the the boring ones are are probably the ones to buy into. <laughs> we like boring, you know. The but that is a great point because the area of cryptocurrencies and digital assets is volatile and risky. You know, anyway, because it is quite a nascent asset class. So you want to de-risk it as much as possible by investing in some of the more established ones. And that was Rachel Pether, a senior advisor at Skybridge Capital, chatting with Niall Kitson. For more on Rachel, you can see her website, which is rachelpether.com. That's P-E-T-H-E-R.com. Uh, and I'll have that in the show notes for you, as always. Listen, that's it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie and of course you can catch us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio and Extra. Until next time, from myself Dusty Rhodes and Nal Kitson, thanks for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie.
Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Radio.